scripture reading this morning comes from John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. If you'd like to follow along, you can find it printed on page 6 of your bulletin. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one that I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Morning. morning. So great to be with you this morning and glad to be home. I was at a other, another church this morning at Grace Mosaic. So glad to be with you on this first day of Advent. Um, as we reflect upon the coming of our Lord, let's pray as we get started to look at this text this morning. Jesus, just want to thank you this morning for the privilege of opening your word. Um, just the privilege of being able to read it freely, the privilege of celebrating Advent. Lord, thank you even that we are a church family here. As we hear the screams coming out from the kids, we're reminded of your goodness that we have multiplied ourselves. You, we, you've grown us over the years. And so today, we thank you and ask that you speak to our hearts. Amen. Well, it's that time of the year when you begin to wonder, what gift will I receive this year for Christmas? You know, when I was 10 years old, I wanted a boom box. <laughs> I, went, <laughs> I went Christmas shopping with my mom, and I, I saw one that I wanted, and I remember indicating that the silver one with the big speakers is the one that I want. <laughs> That's the perfect gift. Surely, you know, she would catch the hint and somehow get it for me. There's no need to whine about it, right? To ask over and over again. I was 10. So on Christmas morning, got up, I opened my gifts, just ripped into them, only to find out that my boom box did not boom. My mom purchased a small dual cassette radio. <laughs> I was so bummed out. 
You know, there, there was no glory in that small rectangle radio. I had a smile on my face like now, but secretly in my heart, I rejected the gift. So that was a rejection. Maybe something like this has happened to you in life where something has been presented to you and it wasn't what you expected. And secretly in your heart, there's some kind of rejection toward the gift that was given to you. We all face disappointment in life, don't we? And that disappointment can lead to us having a, a heart of bitterness, a heart of rejection, pe rejecting people or rejecting things that are given to us. Sometimes we think we deserve better, but a gift is a gift that has been given. As we come to this account throughout Advent, maybe you feel that way about John's gospel. You know, we don't have the manger, we don't have the shepherds, we don't have the wise men in this text. But what we do have is the core essentials. John is giving us the core essential about Jesus, that he is eternal, and that he came down in time to seek and to save his own. So in this gospel, the apostle goes to great lengths to disclose who Jesus really is. So John is sort of repetitiously clear about the reasons for this revelation, about the good news. In John 20, 31, he states that he recorded this gospel so that we will believe that Jesus is Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing, by, by believing you may have life in his name. Therefore, the apostle writes a gospel account where he discloses the fact that Jesus is the long-awaited Savior. Like he's the long-awaited Messiah. That Jesus, as verse 14 states here, the, he's the word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So God came down in a real human body in the second person of the Trinity, and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. Jesus came to bring life to those that were lost in the world. He came into the world in, in the first advent to a bunch of people that had lost their way. They didn't know their rights from their left. There was war, rumor of war. There was Roman occupation in the land, the Holy Land. And Jesus came to save them. But some people thought the Messiah was to come in a certain way to benefit them and their pleasures, to bring power. But as we know the story, Jesus came down in flesh. He came down as a baby, very vulnerable and very humble way of coming. So he made himself like you and like me, starting off very humble, you know, dependent upon our mom or our dad, very dependent to save us. So God wanted to bring, just like in the Old Testament, we see God enter in to bring his people out of the house of slavery, out of Egypt, to bring them to himself at Sinai. He came down. So here he comes down again, but he wraps himself in human flesh to seek and save those who were lost. You know, in this prologue, one scholar summarizes it this way. 
the word which was with God in the very beginning came into the sphere of time, came into history. He was tangible. In other words, how the Son of God was sent into the world to become the Jesus of history so that the glory and grace of God might uniquely and perfectly be disclosed. And the rest of the book is nothing other than an expansion of these themes that we have here. So the divine Son of God is one that came down. He's the one that John wrote about in another, in another epistle, 1 John. And he goes to great lengths here to talk about that Jesus was real, that he was a real person. He's given this testimony in 1 John chapter 1 that he was from the beginning, so that makes him God. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard with our ears, we heard him speak to us. We have seen with our eyes. We've seen him. He's like us. And we have looked upon, we touched with our hands. He was the word of life. So the disciples of Jesus were intimate with him. They could touch him. They hugged him. Perhaps gave each other high fives. You know, they were friends. They were very intimate. Jesus was intimate with them. He came to them and washed their feet. Have you had someone to wash your feet lately? Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? But very humble, very lowly to show that he's the servant of all servants. That this Jesus is a person who comes to sacrifice himself on the cross. So those that did receive Jesus and profess his name, they were led by God to do so. Only God can move on the hearts of those who are dead. But it is only through the Savior's interaction with us in the world that we're able to behold the gift of glory that he is. It's only through him that we're, in, that we're able to embrace the, the gift of grace. And it's only through him that we're able to accept this gift from God. Behold the glory. Verse 14 states, we have seen his glory. Glory of the one and only who came from the Father. And you know, this glory shows up throughout the scriptures, but particularly, as I just stated, in, in Exodus, you know, where the divine presence of God comes to his people, you know, the Shekinah glory. He came to his people in a pillar of cloud by day and a, that of fire by night to lead them out of Egypt, to lead them to Mount Sinai, where God came down in the cloud, and he spoke from that cloud to his people, but no one could see him. He had to be clothed in that way, but yet glorious was God. Moses even requested to see the glory of God, and God made it plain that no man could see his face and live lest he die. But the vision of, the, of God's glory was somehow granted to Moses. So he put him in the cleft of a, of a rock and passed by, so to speak, so that Moses could, could see God. Some say the backside of God. But that's the reality, that he could not see him and live. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle that God instructed them to erect so that he could come down and meet with Moses. And it especially, God was especially there during the hour of sacrifice. So here we have the glory of the one and only 
as of the only son, the, the one that could be the only son of God to come from the Father. He's a baby wrapped in flesh. This is the glory of the Lord. He came from the Father. Jesus is the God-man to, to lead his people out of bondage, to lead them out of sin and death into the hope and everlasting peace, being the prince of peace, right? So through him, God was seen face to face by his people through Jesus. This was a humiliating act, a humbling act. And even Jesus, as he was in flesh, He's the tabernacle dwelling in bodily form, full of glory. Now, how do, how do we know he was full, filled with this glory? Well, Jesus did things that only God could do. He healed people as God would heal them. He showed compassion and mercy to people that only the way that God would do it. He came down. And also, ultimately, this glory was shown through his sacrifice on the cross. Behold the gift of glory, the glory of God. You know, we all have times when we seek after this glory, don't we? This type of glory that makes us stand out in some kind of way, but the motivation of our hearts is that which is selfish, right? And so we want to be glorious. We want to be someone. We want to make a name for ourselves. And my friend had a, uh, Dan had a friend named Eddie, who wanted to be just that, and it was his ambition to be just that. You know, he was, lived in Hollywood, he was an actor, he still is, and every chance he got, he puffed himself up. He came up with ideas after ideas about cell phones and everything, you name it, because he wanted some type of glory. And so finally, my friend told me he had married a princess, and I thought, that's it. You know, how much more glory do you want? <laughs> and so that wasn't enough either. He continued down this path of making himself out to be more glorious than he is. Some of us are like that, aren't we? You know, we're led to behold the, the glory of man over against the glory of God. We're led to behold the glory of things, things, wanting things, having things, my precious things over against the glory of God. We're prone to reject the, the wealth of the spiritual reality of Christ for our own self-aggrandizement in this life, right? Give me the promotion at work. Let, my, let me be the one in the driver's seat because I want to be the leader and make the decisions. I want people to see me. And so if you're like me, it may not be that. It may be just you idolize family. You know, around this time of year, I want the magic of Christmas with my family. You know, give me another cup of apple cider, please, and some more music blaring from the radio, the small radio. No, I don't still have that. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even know where it is. But, uh, you know, gather, that's, that becomes glory. It's all about the motivation. It's nothing wrong with those things, right? But it's about the motivation of the heart. You know, and God searches our hearts for our true motivation. Will we behold his glory this season instead of our own? Will we seek to give in such a way that we do not want something back in return or some type of recognition when we exchange gifts? Now, it's so easy to be in that place, right? 
Because there's good in exchanging gifts. There's good in giving gifts. But we become disappointed when things don't go our way. Sometimes friendships are waning during this time. We miss family members. I miss my grandmother. I miss her dearly during this time. But God sees you. And he is leaning towards you. Even today, he's leaning into you. He's leading you to continue to behold his gift of glory. He's also leading you to embrace his gift of grace. As we see in verse 14, that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And even from verse 16 here, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another or grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus, we, we know this grace, we know this, this grace because we know the truth of Jesus as outlined in scripture. And we know that because of who he is, he's God, because of what he's done, he sacrificed himself on the cross. Jesus is the eternal vat of grace poured out continuously on us those who believe in him and those who don't believe in him he still takes care of all that he has made and even Jesus did that for those who were in the time of Moses in the time of Abraham they believed the promise that was pointed towards Jesus but they still had to live by grace through faith alone as they believed in God Truly, it is a gift of God that no one can boast. This grace is a gift from him. As God would have it, it is the fullness of Jesus' life that overthrow, overflows to others, not freely, but on the merits of Christ and what he has done. This is the God-man who has come for us, for you, and for me. And even another, this other verse here that he's from his fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing to another. Now, this includes believers from the past, from the from the time of this covenant at Sinai and through the prophets up into present day. His grace is for all those who have believed in him because there's no other way except through his initiating and, and, and his covenant faithfulness. This is God's grace towards us. And one, one picture of this grace that is so striking to me in scripture is when Jesus is at the table with uh, Simon, the Pharisee, and he is there, you know, having a conversation with them, and a woman walks in. And she walks in, and she begins to wet Jesus' feet with her tears. And then she uses her hair to wipe them. And then she has this expensive perfume, and she anoints his feet. And it's, it's so striking and for her to be there and doing these things. And those people saying that were around, like, if only he would knew what type of woman this was, he would not allow her to do these things. What is going on there? I read here from verse 44 of Luke 7. So Jesus turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, 
But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This picture of this woman at Jesus' feet is so striking. You know, even that she would go to this great length to move, to go into this place where these guys were sitting around, and there may have, she may have had a reputation, but that didn't stop her from being ever so bold of going to wet Jesus' feet, to humble herself to him. And Jesus shows us that she sees the reality of her sin, but she also sees the reality of her Savior's grace towards her. You may be sitting there to, here today and asking this question, is God really gracious? Is he that gracious? I'm too messed up of a person. How could he look upon me with favor? I see my sins. I see my wrongdoing. I see even what I did last night. I mean, I'm despicable when it comes down to it. I have thoughts that are evil all the time that go against people, and I invite them in. How could God be gracious to me? Is there any hope for me in God's economy? You know, maybe a few of you really are skeptical about how grace works, and, and you really doubt. Like, could this be true? I, I'm not so sure. Cynicism may set in. You know, you're accustomed to taking matters into your own hands and believing that it's through your works that you shall prevail. For any of us, we struggle. This is what happens in this life. We struggle. And this is the message that God has given us to embrace. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all for us. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain. He has washed me white as snow. And he has washed you white as snow for those who believe in him. He has done so by coming down to earth. And even as, as the apostle said, there is not enough books to be written about the acts that Jesus has done, the gracious acts that he has done. And one of those acts is saving you. It's saving you and bringing you close so you can know the embrace of his grace. So if you hear his voice today, this is what we're led to do. Receive God's gift of grace. Receive his gift in Christ. We're led to behold his glory, embrace his grace, and truly accept God as your God. To accept him as your father who is in heaven. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only who is at the farthest side. He has made him known. It's so beautiful that the apostle would come to this place of just admitting that no one has ever been up to heaven 
and come back down to say what God looks like. No one can come close to him who dwells in inapproachable light. But we have one who has indeed seen God, who is God. He's seen him. He's been with him. He has the same glory as he has. He is the one and only son. There can be no other son like him who is perfect, who is spotless. There can be no other savior like him who is a sacrifice for me and for you. And some of you may have been doted on by your parents. You're the one and only daughter. You're the one and only favorite son of your father. But you know, that's all good, right? Because you, you know that somebody has, as they say, bent over backwards for you, right? But see, this type of favor that the, the father has for his son is eternal. They have never been separated. The father had never done anything wrong towards the son, nor the son to the father. That was the eternal intimacy that they both shared with one another. The cord of their love could not be broken ever, and neither did they want that to be broken. But we know the story, don't we? That it had to be broken, that the father had to crush his son on that cross for the saving of many lives. The, the father had to crush his son to, to drink down the, the dregs of, of wrath, the cup of wrath, so that we could be the ones who sit here and look forward to the second coming of Christ because Christ was resurrected and he was alive and he was seen and Christ ascended and he is the one who's at the father's side right now. And we can bank on that. We can believe on that through faith. Through the faith that he's given us, we can look upon the glorified son of God and say, he is God. He is God. He is the the glorified one. He is the one that dispenses his grace continually towards me. He is the God that I accept for my life. Not the God of me. Not the God of me because I can't take care of myself. I've tried it before. When I, you know. You may be in a place where you have tried to stop an addiction that's in your life. You tried to stop it. You couldn't prevail. You may be in a place where you probably tried to save someone from harming themselves. And your power was a limit, was, um, has a, had a limit. But we do come to one who has no limits now. We come to one who wants us to put all of our trust in him this Christmas season. He wants us to remember the many gifts that he has given us because they all point to him to say that he is good and there is no other, that God is good and he is the savior of the world. You know, I never um, received that boom box that I wanted. Sometimes I fantasize about it. But, uh, <laughs> but, you, but uh, you know, as the days went on, I began to play with that little radio, and uh, I enjoyed it for what it was worth, right? And became great, you know, really creative with, uh, as we said back then, making tapes. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, giving those to my friends. But, you know, one thing that really stands out about this gift is not the gift. It's not the rejection of my heart. Um, but it's my mom's smile. 
smile that I really, I still see on her face now in my head. You know, the, the joy that she had, you know, when she gave that gift to me, when I opened it, that sticks with me. And that was the best gift to me. You know, God may give us a lot of things in life. He may give us some of the desires of our hearts, but always give us what we need, even when it doesn't feel like it, right? But our, he smiles down on us. He sees us. He's, he loves us. And that's something that we can bank on because of his track record of pouring out his grace in our lives. We can bank on that in terms of how he helps us to behold his glory because we can't see Jesus' glory and what he's done without the Father moving on our hearts, the Spirit opening our eyes to, to see and behold who he truly is, that he is a bread of life, a lasting loaf uh, for eternity, that he is indeed the vine where we receive our nourishment and our strength, even when our strength is waning, that he is the one that we are to embrace and receive that grace from, that favor. He favors us by providing for us, but most importantly, by giving us his presence because he is God and only God can do that. The evidence is in our changed hearts toward him. And some of you may be here, you, you may not know Christ yet. You may not have, a, have this change of heart. And what I'm saying you still are wrestling with and, and pondering over. Uh, please do. Talk to someone who's here. Let's continue to ponder over these things. Because God sees you too. And he considers you too. And he will not forget you as well. Because he's leading us to accept him and accept the things that he gives us. But most importantly, the precious gift who is in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us uh, a simple gospel. Uh, one that only you can open our eyes to and move our hearts uh, to believe in you. Father, we thank you for the humility of Christ that we can look to him and learn how to live in this world, how to give of ourselves. So, Father, in this season, would you help us? Help us to really listen to you, maybe for a fresh, uh, but ultimately, Father, help us to really embrace your grace and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.